If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one. Of the World According to Zig podcast for this August 26, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the news from a conservative perspective in this world turned totally upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. We no longer do this on a weekly basis for a number of reasons, some of which are outside of our control. Um, maybe we'll try to do them uh, in a, a more rapid pace as we get closer to the election coming up in November. Uh, we do it instead based upon what's going on in the news. And wow, um, we could do eight hours of podcast based upon just what happened in this week alone. And we are loaded for bear. Our number two of the podcast is a really re- revealing and uh, fascinating interview with Rick Wilson. Republican operative who is the uh, author of the book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. Our number three, you will also want to check out someone very close to both of the alleged Ohio State abuse scandals, that involving Jim Jordan and Urban Meyer. Uh, I also have some thoughts on the Catholic Church scandal, which I'll lump in there in our number three. Uh, So you will not want to miss that uh, either. But obviously, uh, our number one, as usual, is our news hour, and there's a ton to get to. Last night uh, brought the uh, unfortunate but inevitable death of uh, Senator John McCain. And, you know, he's 81 years old or was 81 years old. He lived, by his own accounts, an amazing life. It was a tremendous ride. And normally uh, this would be a time where, well, obviously there's always a sadness, but, uh, you know, a time of celebration. I mean, you can't ask for much better life than that. Obviously when he was spending five and a half years in Vietnam in a prison camp, uh, the chances of him living to 81 and and having the last uh, 40 years of his life be the way that it was were infinitesimal. Um, but it did turn out that way. Obviously, it, you know, it could have been better. He could have been president of the United States. Um, but, you know, by and large, he lived an amazing life. So under normal circumstances, you know, as someone who I don't believe in an afterlife, um, and so that makes this a little bit more complicated for, for someone like me when evaluating death. I mean, death is the end as far as I see it. Um, I hope that's not the case, but that's what it looks like to me. And so, you know, that would obviously be sad. But on the other hand, you're like, well, gee, you know, good for him. And, you know, he got to say goodbye. He got, got to have all his affairs in order. Um, I don't know whether that's because of the advances in medicine or whatever, but has, has anyone else noticed this? this new phenomenon that when famous people die, there's like now three stages. They announced they're uh, going to die. Then they announced uh, they're stopping medical treatment and then they die, uh, which I actually like. I actually like that because in a, in a weird sense, you, you, they almost get to attend their own funeral. Um, I've never understood the whole funeral thing because <laughs> Now we're now we're free to say all these nice things about someone who can't hear them. Uh, but that's obviously based upon my view that there's no afterlife, which, again, I hope I'm wrong about. But anyway, with regard to McCain, um, I was a lot sadder than I normally would have been. And it's mostly because I think his death is very symbolic. And by the way, it's not just symbolic. I think it actually there may be a practical 
element here. But it's symbolic of something that is now gone from our country and is probably never coming back. And if I had to describe that, I would describe it in the following manner. Uh, balls and character. We have an extraordinary dearth of balls and character in public life. And let's face it, a lot of what made America great at some point were balls and character. Now, John McCain was not a perfect person. Nobody is, right? John would be the first person to tell you he's not perfect. Um, if I, you know, I had to criticize him, I would say, in a weird way, uh, McCain's a little bit like uh, James Comey in that he's in love with his own virtue. I mean, there's no question that John McCain loved being a maverick, loved being the guy who had balls and character. But he earned that. Five and a half years in a prison camp, I think you earn that. And so, uh, and I didn't agree with him on policy on everything. He flip-flopped on immigration uh, several times. He was a little too prone to compromising with Democrats, and he enjoyed that a little bit too much for, for my taste. But by and large, you cannot argue that the guy loved his country, put his country first, and he had balls and character. And it's interesting, and part of why I'm very sad about the timing of his death, is that obviously Donald Trump hates James Comey and has shown disdain for John McCain, even as late as this week, not even mentioning him when it was announced that he was stopping medical treatment. I don't think that's a coincidence because Donald Trump has no character, has no virtue to be in love with, and frankly also has no balls, although his, his cultists like to think that he does. And so people who have balls and character Trump inherently dislikes because it makes him feel badly about himself. Let's be clear about that. That's the real rub of why Donald Trump didn't like John McCain. That's the real rub of this. Now, the Trump cultists will tell you, oh, we would have gotten rid of Obamacare if not for John McCain. Bullshit. Okay? Let's not do revisionist history, although I know people will. Uh, about what that vote was about. And, and you know, even John McCain, I don't think, was ever really allowed to tell you what that vote was about. And the media has never really told you what that vote was about. I'm going to tell you what that vote was about. You're going to hear this only here, folks. Here's what happened. John McCain killed the last-ditch effort to pass what was called a skinny repeal of Obamacare. It was called a skinny repeal because it was crap. It was such crap, it was such an abomination that no one voting for it actually wanted it to become law. That's a fact. Supposedly, what was going to happen was that if McCain voted yes, it would allow the process to continue and that maybe, just maybe, they could figure out a way to salvage this absolute crap burger of a bill that's what the vote was now here's the part no one else is going to tell you if john mccain had trusted president trump to not break his word and then sign the skinny repeal bill so he could say see i repealed obamacare i've made america great again if john mccain trusted donald trump when he said, I'm not going to sign it if it passes, then I believe McCain probably would have said, all right, fine. I'll vote yes. Obviously, I can't prove that. No one can now, unless McCain has written about this somewhere that we don't know about. But the reality is that logically, that actually makes a hell of a lot of sense. That if, let's pretend... George Bush was president and George Bush called John McCain and said, look, John, we're in a tight spot here. Nobody likes this bill. I'm not going to sign it. I promise you, if the House passes this thing, I'm not going to sign it. We're just doing this as a procedural matter. You can trust me. McCain would have had no problem with that. 
McCain would have said, okay, fine. But we're not dealing with someone who can be trusted. That's the reality. Believe me. No, we don't. We don't believe anything you say because you're a pathological liar who only cares about themselves. And so I could totally see, completely see, Trump double-crossing McCain, especially with McCain in bad health, and saying, you know what? We did what we did. Here, we're going we're gonna to repeal Obamacare. See, I, I fulfilled my campaign promise, even though it would have been a disaster. So McCain did the right thing. Now, did he do it partially because it stroked his ego and his mavericky nature? Sure. That's called being human. That's being human. That doesn't mean he didn't do the right thing. And it it doesn't mean he didn't do it because he actually believed in what was best for the country. And, you know, the McCain story I'm a little bit more intimately familiar with than most. Uh, You know, I've met McCain. I've had my picture taken with him with my wife. I've interviewed him. I did a movie called Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected, which, I, by the way, I have posted on both my Twitter and Facebook pages today so for free, totally free, not even an advertisement. So if you're interested, check that out because a lot of people have seemingly forgotten what really happened in the 2008 campaign and how the news media totally turned on John McCain and stabbed him in the back. All the same media people, they're saying wonderful things about John McCain today, yesterday, and for the next few days. They're all the same people who stabbed him in the back when it mattered because they were sewing the tank for Barack Obama. So check out that on my Twitter and, and Facebook pages. But I, you know, obviously that, that contributes to the sadness about his death. But there's a, the practical element of this is what really makes me um, verklempt. And, and that is, and I've, I've re- referenced this before with Charles Krauthammer's death. We're living in an era where, um, as I've already mentioned, there are no balls, there's no character, wisdom is is basically of no value it's all about what's popular and everyone sells out all the time and there are so few credible voices who are willing and able to stand up against the mob of their own tribe and say wait a minute here's what's right here's what's true here's what's true and if trump is ever going to whether it's be removed from office or forced to resign or whatever it is. There has to be a major crackage in at least one of his three fortresses. The Republican base, Fox News Channel and the conservative media, and the Republicans in the Senate. Now, the Republican base, as I wrote about at Mediate this week, which I urge you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com, the top 10 reasons that the Trump uh, supporters will never care about the Russian investigation, which I, I frankly think is a darn good analysis. Make sure you check that out. Without the other two, the base is almost certain to never, ever leave Donald Trump. And I'll have some thoughts on that in, in a second. The media and the, and the Republican Senate, they need someone to provide them cover. Let's pretend that the facts allow this this perspective on Trump, that he's got to go. The media needs cover. Fox News Channel is at the epicenter of this. Charles Krauthammer was the only guy who could have provided that, that cover. He was the only guy who cared enough about the country, who had the gravitas, who had the celebrity, who had the wherewithal, who had the intellect to say, this is garbage, you know, what Mueller's come up here with is real. Let's not delve into conspiracies. This is not a guy who should be our president. I think Krauthammer was more than capable of that, and it would have had an impact at Fox News Channel. Well, Krauthammer's now dead. So it's never going to happen at Fox News Channel. And Brett Baer can talk all he wants about how, you know, the legacy of Charles Krauthammer will live with him every day. Bullshit. Once someone is dead, it's over. Their influence over you is very minimal and it's certainly not enough to carry you through willing to take on a shitstorm where your career might be in peril not going to happen so there's no one at fox news channel that's going to be able to pull this off or even potentially pull this off 
Very similarly, John McCain was the only guy in the Republican Senate that could have led this kind of charge. And here's how it would have gone down. Let's pretend that John McCain was in good health. And let's pretend Mueller comes back with anything close to what a lot of people are anticipating that he will with regard to Trump's crimes and misdemeanors and potentially impeachable offenses, whether that's collusion with Russia or whatever. There's a lot within that realm. But let's pretend that would have happened and McCain was still healthy. I believe in every fiber of my being that John McCain would have been the first guy to say enough is enough. Now, it's interesting to me, as I write in a column that just came out at Mediate today, that McCain was sitting in Barry Goldwater's Senate seat out of Arizona. Barry Goldwater was the guy who told Richard Nixon, Dick, it's time to go. And at that time, because there was no Fox News Channel and the Republican Party wasn't nearly the cult, at least not for Nixon as it is for Trump, that actually had an impact. And to Nixon's credit, he actually did what was best for the country. Instead of putting the country through an impeachment battle, he resigned. That ain't going to happen with Trump. None of the circumstances are the same. But McCain was the guy who could have been the first person to have the balls on the character to stand up. Had he done that, I believe Lindsey Graham, his good friend, would have followed. Without McCain, McCain effectively being gone for the last year, it's not a coincidence that Lindsey Graham has totally lost his balls. Effectively, John McCain was Lindsey Graham's balls. Those balls are gone, so now Graham is gone. Had McCain done this and Graham followed, Mitt Romney, who's going to be elected senator from Utah this November, would have obviously followed. Now you got three. You got three of stature, three with celebrity, three with credibility. Now you got a foothold. Now, at the very least, an impeachment trial can't be a sham. Because you got McCain, Graham, and Romney. And with McCain, Graham, and Romney, you might get Ben Sass from Nebraska. There's a couple others. You know, Corker and Flack won't be there because they're retiring. But three is the magic number. You need three. McCain would have insured three. Now you're going to get zero. Now you're going to get zero. And there will be not even a legitimate impeachment trial of Trump, even if the Democrats take the House and he is impeached. I feel like I've already lived through this. I was talking with Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth, my good friend from Louisville, Kentucky, about this this week because of all these crazy developments. I feel like in some ways I've already lived through something very similar to what we're going to go through here if all this goes down even close to as is currently anticipated. And that's the Penn State situation. And people are probably thinking, what? What are you talking about? How is this related to the Penn State situation? It's exactly the same thing. When you, I refer to this as the Valkyrie scenario. All right, Whenever you're in a Valkyrie scenario, you, you need, as I've already referenced, at least three. Three really strong people of stature, else it doesn't work. When I, sense, when I reference Valkyrie, I'm talking about the Tom Cruise movie with the effort to, to uh, pull off a coup, a coup against Adolf Hitler during World War II. It's a fascinating political movie. It's actually one, it's probably my favorite Tom Cruise movie. I'm not a big Tom Cruise fan because I think he's a Scientology nut job. But if you ever get a chance, if you're interested in the politics of, of how these things work, Valkyrie is a fantastic movie. Because what happens there is there's an attempted coup, but it immediately falls apart because they don't have enough. They don't have that magic number of three. They really only have one or two. And one of them's not very strong. And effectively, in the Penn State situation, I was involved in a Valkyrie circumstance with regard to trying to go up against, well, essentially a coup against what was happening against Penn State. And we had Franco Harris. Franco Harris was our one. But Franco's personality is not like former, you know, he's not a former Pittsburgh Steeler legend, Hall of Famer, world famous incredibly well-respected, but his personality is not the same as John McCain. He's, he's way more laid back. So he alone was not the right guy to lead a charge against, against the wall. Unfortunately, there was 
nobody else that joined in publicly. Privately, lots of other people. But one person can be easily discounted. So if one person in the Senate eventually stands up against Trump, he'll just get destroyed because he'll have no one standing with him. Again, you need at least three. And so because Franco didn't have three, he was just discarded and run over when it came to justice for Joe Paterno. Well, that's what's going to happen here, regardless of the facts of what Robert Mueller finds. There's not going to be three because you're not going to have McCain. Romney, I could theoretically see being the one guy who would stand up, but he won't have the impact. And I even question whether or not he'll actually do that now because he'll be smart enough to realize I don't got McCain, I don't got uh, Lindsey Graham, and I'm going to get killed here. Why am I doing this? So check out my column, which I, I go into a little bit further detail about why I actually think this week, and let's make no mistake, this was a horrendous week for Donald Trump. I actually think that there's a pretty good chance that this week increased the chances. It's going to sound crazy. Increase the chances that Donald Trump is still president at the end of 2024. And you're like, what? How's that possible? Hear me out here. Here's what I think is going to happen. By the way, the Part of why I think this week, while horrible for Trump, may have increased his chances of, of being president in 2024 is that I'm not as convinced as others are that what we learned this week was quite as devastating to Trump as a lot of other people have. I am, as you probably know, if you know anything about me, I am incredibly wary of confirmation bias. If something comes down that I want to believe, I get agita. I'm, I, I almost get, I get the hives. I, I am immediately like, wait a minute. I don't want to believe that because I understand that it, it's something I want to believe. So I, if it's something I want to believe, I actually put it through far more rigorous vetting than I might otherwise. And let me give you a couple of examples. There was a lot made this week, obviously, of the Paul Manafort convictions, the Michael Cohen plea deal, the alleged flipping of David Pecker from the National Enquirer. And by the way, I mean, I'm not one to say I told you so, but holy shit, I told you so. Holy shit, I told you so. Way back in the primary, early in the primaries of 2016, if there's one thing we got proven this week beyond any shadow of a doubt is that the National Enquirer was, just as I said, an arm of the Trump campaign, period, end of sentence. It was an arm of the Trump campaign, just as I said. But obviously there's David Pecker's allegedly flipping on Trump, and there's Alan uh, Whistleberg, the uh, CFO of the Trump Organization, allegedly Trump, uh, flipping on Trump and turning states' evidence and getting immunity. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let's, let's go through these four things. First of all, the first two could have been far, far worse for Trump. Manafort was one vote, apparently a Trumpster vote, away from being convicted on all 18 counts. Now, if he had gotten uh, convicted on all 18 counts, I realize in a logical world, this shouldn't make a goddamn bit of difference, but we're not living in a logical world. We're living in Trump world now, right? So in the, in the world of the Trump cultist, those 10 hung jury con uh, counts where there wasn't a conviction for Manafort, Trump can actually use those in his argument to pardon Manafort. Now, again, that shouldn't make a damn bit of difference. But in his mind and in the minds of his, his followers, I love the poorly educated. That actually matters. So it could have been the Manafort conviction was one vote away from total clean sleep sweep. And there's nothing Trump can do about it. There's no possible way Trump can spin it. I think he dodged an even potentially worse bullet when it came to Cohen. Can you imagine if instead of pleading guilty on the very same, not just day, same hour that Manafort is convicted, can you imagine if there was a trial involving Michael Cohen 
a trial would have been a media bonanza for weeks. It would have required the testimony of Pecker. It would have required the testimony of Whistleberg, the, which who knows what they would have been asked while up on the stand. Who knows what they would have said. It would have all been out in public. This There would have been drama that would have engaged a large portion of the population. A trial would have been devastating for Trump. This all would have dripped out the salaciousness of the allegations. There's a huge part of the population that has no idea, no idea what Michael Cohen implicated Donald Trump in, in taking that plea deal. A lot of them would have known about it if there was a trial and that trial had gotten its own news coverage for several weeks at a time. And who knows what other revelations would have come out. That is a huge break for Donald Trump. The plea deal, while legally significant, is going to be politically forgotten by tomorrow. Now, supposedly Cohen has other information, but even that, Lanny Davis's attorney has already contradicted himself on some stuff, including that regarding whether Trump knew about the Trump Tower meeting, which, of course, we know that he did. Believe me. Yeah, no. Um, the reality is that this could have been far, far worse for Donald Trump. And as far as Pecker and, and Whistleberg uh, flipping, as it's been referred to, I am not convinced they flipped on Trump. I realize a lot of very smart people have said, well, you don't give Pecker and Whistleberg uh, immunity just to get Michael Cohen. Okay, I buy that. I understand that. But that's not what we know for sure. We, we have no hard evidence at this moment, as much as I would love to see it, that Pecker and, and Whistleberg actually flipped on Trump. They could have easily just flipped on Cohen. And as far as I know, as of now, there's been no Twitter rage by Trump against Pecker or Whistleberg. And that, frankly, as bizarre as it is, that might be the most important thing to look for. If there's no Twitter raging by Trump, then that might mean it didn't happen. If there is rage tweeting by Trump, then you go, oh, so they did flip on him. But that hasn't happened. Now, there is one thing that happened. And this shows just how unbelievably desensitized we are. I mean, just beyond comprehension how desensitized we are. That this hasn't even become a news story, partially because it happened Friday night. But this is the lone indication I've seen that maybe, maybe David Pecker from the National Enquirer did flip on Trump. Because an ex-Trump Tower worker was apparently released from their non-disclosure agreement and is now allowed to talk about the deal they had with the National Enquirer where they were paid $30,000 to provide information to the National Enquirer about Donald Trump's affair with a housekeeper at Trump Tower that resulted in, get this, an illegitimate child. And no one gives a shit. It's unbelievable. No one gives a shit. But it could be significant because that's a hell of a coincidence, right? Hell of a coincidence that on the very same week we find out that David Pecker got immunity in the Michael Cohen investigation, that all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, the National Enquirer is releasing Trump accusers from their NDAs. That's an indication to me, hmm, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening, and make, now, it's also important to point out, while David Pecker probably has a hell of a lot of shit that would destroy anybody else's campaign or presidency or whatever, it's not going to matter to Trump. Because all of this was accumulated before 60-some million people got personally invested in believing that he's a great president. Because that's what's happened. 
and it is an investment. It is a pure psychological, personal investment in him because they don't want to believe that they were duped, and it is far, far easier to convince somebody or to dupe somebody than to convince them that they have been duped. That's a human reality. I love the poorly educated. I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. So this dirt that Pecker may have, even if he's willing to let the dogs out, I don't think it's going to have much impact. It may actually have more impact on people around Trump than it does him, which goes to the subject of our number two's interview with Rick Wilson, which is that everything Trump touches dies. That's true. Manafort's dying. Cohen's dying. But he ain't dying. Everybody around him dies, but not him. So anyway, back to why I think this horrible week and it wasn't just Cohen and Manafort. I mean, his attorney general publicly rebuked him. Jeff Sessions, his first major political endorser, the guy he chose as attorney general, publicly rebuked the president on the issue of the Russian investigation and political influences. The president of the United States had to admit that the North Korea denuclearization deals, which never really existed, have fallen apart. Just as I told you, just as everybody with a brain told you, it was a scam. Trump was willfully duped. He had to admit that, too. And that's a non-story. You would think that. I mean, my God, that, that alone. If there was no scandals involving Trump at all, the North Korea story alone would, would be weeks of scandal for a normal president. We'd be seeing the pictures of Trump saluting the, the North Korean general and kissing up to Kim Jong-un. I mean, Un got everything he could have possibly wanted from that situation in a wet dream and gave up nothing in, in return. Nothing. This is from our great negotiator. Trump's a horrible negotiator. But everything Trump says is not just a lie. It's the opposite of the truth. Because he knows, his great skill is he knows how stupid people will react. And if they see you as an alpha male, super rich, successful businessman, the best thing to do is not just shade the truth. Tell the exact opposite of the truth because then no one will possibly believe. He couldn't be lying to that degree. It must be true. So here's what you do. You accuse Hillary Clinton of collusion with Russia. That's the way to do this. Because if you're accusing Hillary Clinton in an ultimate example of projection, which Trump does all the time, then the focus is off of you. We're not even talking about your lies. But the reason why you're saying Hillary did it is because why? Because you're, you did it. You did it. You're the one where the evidence indicates that it's you. But let's focus on Hillary as if, as if Hillary fucking matters about anything. She's a goddamn unemployed grandmother. Who the hell cares? He's the president of the United States. He's the one that, for all intents and purposes, it appears as if every indication is he is beholden to and compromised by Vladimir Putin of Russia. That's what I want to understand. All right. So this whole, again, here's, here's the scenario as I see it, which I outline in my column today for, for Mediate. So because of this week, this is the argument that this week was actually good for Trump staying in office for a longer period of time. Because of this week, there's going to be enough evidence and information and public sentiment for if the, if the Democrats take the House, which is highly likely at this time, unless they only take it by a couple of votes, which is possible, but if they take the House by more than, say, five or six votes— they are now going to be forced to impeach, as I've been predicting for a couple of years. They're going to, be, or at least a year, they're going to be forced to impeach Donald Trump. Okay? They're going, to, they're going to have to. They're going to have to because their base is going to demand it and because the facts are going to demand it. So they will impeach Donald Trump. Because there's no John McCain and because there's nobody else worth a salt with any balls and character in the Senate, the Senate is going to put out a sham trial. It is going to be just like the Bill Clinton sham trial. This is going to be Bill Clinton in reverse in every possible way. So Trump will get impeached, but he will not be removed from office. Now, what does this mean? 
I think there was a reasonable chance up until recently that Donald Trump, because he's even said it himself, I've already made America great again. I thought there was a reasonable chance Trump decides, you know what? I did my job. I'm out of here. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. You're welcome for me making America great again. I was able to do it sooner than I expected because I'm just that freaking awesome. And I'm going to go off into the sunset and play golf. I, th I think that was a reasonable uh, assessment up until recently. But now we've got a problem. We've got two problems. Number one, Trump would therefore be a one-term impeached president. Nobody wants that. Trump doesn't want that. That's a black mark. It's harder for him to claim total victory at that point, although he would try. But here's the bigger problem. As long as he's president, he can't be indicted, most people believe. The presidency is effectively protection from him or for him from legal jeopardy. How, especially at his age, are you going to give up your greatest cloak of protection against legal jeopardy? As long as you're president, you're safe. You're safe legally and you have enormous numbers of people who are invested in defending you. Fox News Channel, the Republicans in the Senate, the Republicans in the House, the people in the White House, your base of support, anybody in a jury, you know, there's a good chance they're going to get some Trumpsters on there. The, the reality is he, his self-interest is served by remaining president. So he's impeached. So now he is in, he's effectively, because of the legal jeopardy that he probably faces, on likely far more than just the Cohen situation. I mean, the, if we're into the money laundering circumstances now, from a legal standpoint, Trump is toast. But not while he's president. So now, if you follow my scenario here, Trump decides to run for re-election. He wins the nomination easily because the Republican base is completely gone to, to a cult. And so that's not an issue. He wins the nomination. But now, because of the impeachment saga and because of the rage and hatred the Democrats feel towards Trump, some of it very understandable. And by the way, because of something that the Democrats were stupid enough to do just yesterday, which was to get effectively get rid of superdelegates, guess what's going to happen? They're going to nominate Michael Avenatti or some other bonehead moron who's not qualified for the job, uh, and, and then Trump's going to win. Trump will win re-election. Now, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult for him to re-win Florida, partially because of some demographic changes that have occurred just in the last couple of years there with Puerto Ricans coming in. But the, the reality is if they don't have a viable candidate to beat him, he'll win, especially if the economy maintains itself as it currently is. So once he wins the second term, then all this other stuff is now gone. Russia is gone. The scandals are gone. They're all built in. And as long as his health maintains itself which is i i actually i actually think that there's a far 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 greater chance he doesn't serve till 2025 because of his health killing him than anything that might happen in congress anything that might happen politically or legally so it, i realize there's a lot of ifs here but this is this is the most likely scenario to me now look Republicans, ironically enough, if Republicans hold the House, there's a chance Trump doesn't even decide to run for re-election. Who knows? But that's the scenario I currently see. Democrats take the House. They impeach. The Senate puts on a sham trial. Democrats, enraged with no superdelegates to temper the process, nominate somebody who can't beat him. He wins re-election. And... He's home safe. Correct. Yeah, I, I think that's, thank you, Donald. I appreciate your, your giving me that analysis of, of my scenario there. I know you, you like that a lot. I'm sure you love it. Um, you know. All I know is what's on the internet. Yeah, it's, that's true, too. Well, you can find on the internet my column for Media, where, where I outline uh, this theory in some more detail. Uh, also at my uh, Twitter and Facebook um, uh, accounts as well. So check that out, and it'll also be up at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Now, as far as, okay, what is it that, um, how do you know, Zig, that Trump is guilty? Well, <laughs> uh, 
there's so many different ways, and I'm not going to get into all the details right now because that's for another podcast and another column. But here's the number one reason why I know Donald Trump is guilty. I mean, uh, one, there's two. One is all the lies, right? There, there shouldn't be all these lies. And can, and can we please never, ever, 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 ever forget that not only has he lied about affairs and payoffs, which used to matter, he has lied and his team has lied numerous times about what happened with regard to the Trump Tower meeting. And I think he's still lying about his knowledge of it. So why are you lying about that? There's no reason to lie about it. Maybe you might get not get your story straight the first time because you didn't think it was a big deal. But over this long a period of time, this many changes, this many obvious lies, there's a massive problem. There's a massive problem. We, we seem to just forget that. We just seem to pretend that that didn't happen. Well, it did happen. And there's no explanation for it. That's number one. From a psychological standpoint, Here's the part that I just cannot get over. And if someone can explain it to me, I'm all ears. If you're Donald Trump and you're innocent and Robert Mueller is investigating you, Robert Mueller, incredibly well-respected, lifelong Republican, okay? He's, he's investigating you. And because of circumstances, the entire liberal and democratic and media establishment has fully embraced Robert Mueller, fully embraced him. So it's a miracle. In fact, if you believe in the Trump does eight dimensional chess theory, which I don't, because I don't think he can even play, you know, forget about checkers. I don't think he can play Candyland properly. Uh, but if you believe in the eight dimensional chess, you could even argue that Trump has brilliantly manipulated liberals into embracing Robert Mueller. So that Mueller could exonerate him. That's not what's happened. But, but here's, here's why I think this is so significant. If you're innocent and the liberals have embraced a lifelong Republican who's investigating you, he is your lifeline to full exoneration. Because if Robert Mueller comes out and says, you know what, we really we looked at this very carefully. And we have found absolutely no evidence of any criminality. And frankly, we were quite surprised by the fact that, uh, you know, Trump's books are all in order and his taxes. I don't know why he hasn't released them because they actually seem pretty, pretty good. If, if anything close to that happens, the liberals have got nothing because they have put all their eggs in Robert Mueller. I mean, they have imbued Robert Mueller with superpowers. And I, I got to—I've—I've warned my friend, Congressman John Yarmuth. A lot of pe your people are going to be awfully disappointed because Mueller may not have the goods, and you know what? He might not really be Superman. Because it's amazing the superpowers that they think Robert Mueller has. Uh, a lot of these these people who are obsessed with the idea that Trump's going to be removed from office, which, again, I've already explained why he's almost certainly not going to be. So Trump is in this fantastic position. Imagine having a lifelong Republican as a Republican president with a propaganda arm, Fox News Channel, ready to go on your behalf at any moment. This is perfect for Trump if you're innocent. So why is Trump constantly trying to attack Mueller. Rigged witch hunt. Rigged witch hunt. By the way, the last time he told us something was rigged was the election, and he won with less votes than his opponent. <laughs> oh, so why are you attacking Mueller and his supposedly 17 angry Democrats, which is all just bullshit. It's just such bullshit. Um, but it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for an innocent person who's in the position of the presidency. He's not a, a, a teenage black kid from South L.A. who has no lawyer who's worried that he might get railroaded by a, a renegade prosecution that just wants to convict a black kid. He's the president of the freaking United States with an entire media industrial complex on his side, not to mention... He currently has both houses of Congress on his side. There is no chance of him being railroaded. It's not possible, especially not by a Republican like Mueller. Unless you're guilty. And unless you're scared shitless because you know where all the bodies have been buried over the last several years.
So while there's a hundred data points that I could provide you that indicate Trump's guilt at some level in all of this, the two that I, I cannot get beyond, and I'm open. If someone wants to give me an explanation, please send it to me. Email, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Why all the lying specifically about the Trump Tower meeting and why the attacking of the one guy who can exonerate you? And by the way, could exonerate you perfectly and easily. It, it doesn't make any damn sense. It makes no sense at all. And, you know, my sense is, to, and this is guessing, my sense is to what's really bothering Trump, worrying Trump, and where Mueller is probably focused. Look, there's clearly a conspiracy to attempt to collude with Russia. We already know that. They've effectively admitted that with the Trump Tower meeting. I think Trump is most worried about money laundering. That's what I think is, that's, my, that's where my gut tells me. I mean, and it, it, to understand Trump, the number one thing you understand is he's not that rich. And he's undergone a lot of financial problems. And in order to overcome those financial problems, he's had to do things that weren't right, that were probably unethical, probably maybe un, uh, illegal. And that's where the real Russian connection is. That's my gut. It's based upon a lot of research and thought into this. I don't have any proof of it, but that's, that's more my gut tells me where we're heading on this. I, I mentioned the, the um, article, the column I wrote for Mediate about the top 10 reasons why the Trump uh, supporters will never care about the Russian investigation, which I urge you to check out. This was um, inspired by a dinner I had with several of my in-laws. My in-laws are an interesting focus group because they are um, they're smart people. They're educated people. Uh, most of them are educators. Uh, my father-in-law is a financial guy who's made a ton of money in the stock market. And, you know, they're good people. But boy, oh boy, they couldn't care less about the Russian investigation. None of them. They couldn't care less. And so... I went through the top 10 reasons as to why. And you know, part of it is that the Russian investigation is complex. And when you're not interested in the topic because you're afraid of what you might find, you don't know all the details and you can't put all the pieces together. And when your own media outlet, Fox News Channel, doesn't tell you about this very often, you don't even know who the characters are. So it's like you're being brought in in the middle of a, uh, you know, a, a Netflix series and you have no idea who's who. So it doesn't interest you. And, you know, again, frankly, you're a little afraid of what you might find. So you tune it out. So they, they don't have, and, and my favorite part of this, this talk about mind blowing. I can't tell you how many times during Clinton impeachment, when I would argue with people who were liberals that Clinton should be removed from office, I would invariably get to the bottom line of, well, you just know more about this than me. <laughs> but not like, oh, so you must be right. You just must know more about this. You just know more about this than me. As if that's cheating. That's, that's what they think. That's it. Psychologically, that's what they think. That that's cheating. You just know more than I do. Well, no. See, there used to be a time when people would go to people who have actually studied it, who they trusted, and they would go, Oh, okay. At the very least, I need to take another look at this because you seem like you know what you're talking about and I trust you and, you know, you're not making this up. That doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. You know why? Because you can always find your favorite media outlet to tell you whatever the hell it is you want to, want to hear in the first place. I reference this as kind of like a therapist-patient relationship. Fox News Channel is the therapist. Talk Radio is the therapist. And the Trump cultist is the patient. They know what they want to believe. They're invested in a particular narrative. They don't want to think they were duped. They want to think that this is all fake news and the media out to attack their beloved president. And so the therapist gives them what they want with a whole bunch of conspiracy bullshit theories that never pan out to be even close to being true. That's what's happening here. And I've really, I've searched far and wide, and this might be another column for another day, but I've searched far and wide for a great example for this phenomenon that I'm talking about. And I think I might have found it. Feel free to give me feedback if you think I have. But 
my wife and I watch a lot of Datelines. <laughs> we, we're actually hilarious when we watch Datelines because in every, in, invariably we're always discussing about how we would plot each other's murder and whether or not we could get away with it. And she, of course, knows she would be able to get away with murdering me with no problem whatsoever because I'd be portrayed as the Jerry Zandowski defender and I'd, I'd be, no one would care. It would be it'd be over immediately. So she could, you know, if, if I'm ever murdered, it's almost certainly her, but let her let her go. Just let her go. You know, it's good for my kids. That's just, you know, <laughs> I only mean that half, half facetiously. Anyway, we were watching a Dateline recently where there's this woman outside of Atlanta by the name of uh, Leanna Taylor and her husband, whose name is Justin Harris. You may have heard about this case. He got convicted of murdering their son by leaving him in the car during the day while he went to work. And at first, you're kind of like, really, did he intend to do that? Maybe he was just flighty and forgot and you kind of felt bad for him. But then as you learn more and more about the case, it was obvious, and then the jury ended up convicting him for this and many other things, that he had done this on purpose, as insane as this sounds, that he had put his son, little toddler son in the car to die. Now, the, the, the comparison I make here to the Trump uh, cultists is that the woman, Leanna Taylor, is a lot like a form of the Trump cultists, kind of like my in-laws. She's actually very intelligent. She's a very intelligent woman. So she's no dummy. And she knew enough to divorce her husband, okay? Because one of the things they found out was that <laughs> On the day where he killed his son, he was he was sexting like 30 people, both women and men, by the way. So she divorces him. Now, the comparison I make is that Taylor is a lot like the Trump supporter who doesn't really like Trump as a person, right? I get that a lot. Oh, I know Trump's an asshole, but he's our asshole, and he's doing a great job on the economy, and he's making America great again, whatever. So, so a lot like my in-laws, she's smart and she knows he's a bad person. So she divorces him. But, and here's the part that's really like Trumpsters. She testified on his behalf at the trial and still, as far as we know, to this day, does not believe he murdered their child. She does not believe it. So she's married to him. She divorces him. He's convicted despite her testimony on his behalf. Now think about that, by the way. How difficult was it for that jury to convict him when his ex-wife is testifying on his behalf? The mother of the child who died is testifying on his behalf and he still gets convicted. To me, that's what's going on with Trumpsters. Because her investment in this was so that she could deal with him being a philanderer and being a bad husband, she couldn't deal with the notion that she allowed him to kill her son. She's personally invested to the point where she cannot see straight anything that occurs with regard to the death of the son. In a weird way, that's kind of like the Russian investigation. The idea being here, that let's pretend Trump really is compromised by Putin. All right, you can deal with the fact that, all right, we elected an asshole as a president. We don't like him. He's an asshole. But he's doing a good job, and he loves America and all that. However, if you had to comprehend that he's actually compromised by an adversarial foreign power, which I believe Trump to be, that is a problem for you psychologically. Because now, oh shit, oh my gosh, it was my choice that helped facilitate effectively our country being sold out. This is the same thing as the, the wife being unable to accept that her ex-husband killed her son because then that's on her. You see what I'm saying? That's how this works. The Trump, the core Trump voter is in, is psychologically invested in Trump. He can have flaws, but you can only go so far. Can only go so far because then it reflects badly on us. And we're not going to believe anything that goes beyond that.
So that's my uh, analogy for the uh, the week when it comes to uh, to uh, Trumpsters. And make sure you check out that column, which I do, I do think um, you'll enjoy that top 10 list. I also wrote three columns on Amarosa. It's amazing. By the way, remember her? She was the biggest news story of two weeks ago. We've forgotten about her now totally. This kind of goes to what I've said at the beginning of this hour about how none of these things tend to work out quite the way the news media wants them to be. There's an enormous confirmation bias because obviously the media hates Trump. Obviously, a lot of people want Trump gone. They keep thinking every bombshell is going to be finally the one that does it. I've, I've made the comparison that this is kind of like we half the country feels like we have this massive cold sore on our face that's going to be removed any day. Uh, and so therefore, any sign we see that's going to finally be removed, we're like, yeah, 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 it's finally going to be removed. No, I'm sorry, folks. It's it, There's a good chance it's going to be here till at least uh, 2025, early 2025. Sorry to break that to you. But it's better for you to psychologically deal with that now than, than to go through the the uh, insane-making process of thinking any day it's going to be removed when it's not. But what I'm going with with re regard to these Omarosa tapes, much like the Michael Cohen tape, it's never as bad as it's portrayed. They're bad, but they're never quite as bad as they're portrayed. And there's always a theoretical explanation. Like, I wrote a column about, I do not believe that Donald Trump is, is on tape from The Apprentice saying the N-word. I, I don't believe that. Uh, it makes no sense. The story makes no sense. It feels very much like an urban legend to me. Now, is it possible that Mark Burnett, the executive producer of The Apprentice, has that? Yeah, but that's not Omarosa's story. See, that would make sense if Brunette somehow, you know, he was the owner of all of this. He accumulated all these tapes, and he's a friend with Trump, uh, Trump's, and he's got Trump blackmailed, and he's just going to keep this all under lock and key. But under that circumstance, the way this story would be known would be totally different. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, so check those columns out about Omarosa. I am, folks, I know that uh, some have accused me of... Uh, Trump derangement syndrome. I, I I despise the guy, but I don't have Trump derangement syndrome. I think I am incredibly objective when it comes to what is real against him and what is fake and what the uh, the the uh, prognosis is for the future. I, I get in a constant argument with them, um, <laughs> almost on a daily basis. I have a very good friend who works for an extremely pro-Trump media outlet. I've talked about this before, where we have a bet. They have bet me that Trump will be removed from office or no longer be in office uh, by the end of next year. It's a, it's a dinner bet. And I feel very confident I'm going to win the bet, and they feel very confident that they're going to they're gonna win the bet. Um, but, but they know, in fact, they, I can tell that they do this on purpose. Like when there's, whenever there's a development, they bounce it off me to see, okay, if Ziegler thinks this is real, then it must really be real because Ziegler doesn't want to believe anything bad about Trump because I, I I'm again very concerned about the confirmation bias issue and I'm also very distrustful of the news media because I know the narrative they're selling way too late would have been nice if they were selling this narrative in the 2015 before this fire got way out of control but that's where we are I guess my final uh, thought on this is that and this is going to sound contradictory but it's not because I, mean, I keep saying <laughs> I keep inching in, in two directions that seem counterintuitive. I'm more and more convinced Trump is guilty, and I'm more and more convinced he's going to get away with it. Almost every single time we do a podcast, that's what I'm saying. It's a broken record, but it keeps going in both of those directions. And I, I do believe that the expectations for Mueller have gotten completely out of control. They are complete. It is, I can't even imagine how Robert Mueller could possibly meet the expectations that a lot of people hopeful for Trump's demise have for him. It's just, it's going to be physically impossible. Now, a lot of these topics that we talk about, including the midterms, if you want to find out what's going to happen in the midterms and a whole lot more, make sure you listen to hour number two, my interview with Rick Wilson, the Republican operative who wrote the book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. That's hour number two. So make sure that you listen to that. Plus, uh, Rick and I talk about how we both believe that there's a huge Trump backlash coming politically in the next five or 10 years, which we are all going to rue 
Although, unfortunately, the Trumpsters will come up with some excuse other than Trump for why it's actually happening. But you will not want to miss hour number two of the podcast. And hour number three, as I've already mentioned, uh, we speak to uh, someone very close to both of the alleged Ohio State University abuse scandals from a very, very different perspective than what the media has told you, which, surprise, surprise, is not true. So uh, that'll do it for hour number one. As always, I ask only two things of you. Please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, uh, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.